0: Our speaker today is a, a serious PhD student from computer science, uh, Bala Anandan. Bala. yeah, Thanks. Uh, uh, thank you everyone for attending. Uh, my talk is going to be on two notions of privacy. So it's uh, secure function evaluation and differential privacy. So let me, uh, so this is the overview of the talk. So I'll be talking about secure uh, secure function evaluation and a couple of protocols that can be used for securely computing functions. and differential privacy. Th- that's the other notion. And finally, I'll be talking about uh, a two-party differentially private computation. So uh, just a brief idea. The two, the two topics here the secure function evaluation and differential privacy, talks about uh, two different notions of privacy. Uh, basically, the first one talks about how to given a function, how can I compute a function securely? So you're basically given a function and the second topic second uh, notion of privacy which is differential privacy talks about what functions can be computed securely and then we, uh, and I'll be giving uh, background a lot of background information on both, both the topics and then I'll try to give a, a protocol that combines both these concepts so that's the whole idea of the talk here so let's just give a brief introduction uh, so The whole problem definition is that there are two parties, Alice and Bob, Uh, they have private inputs, um, X and Y respectively. So, the problem is that they want to compute a function, F of X comma Y, can be any function. So, let's say there are no constraints, no constraints, they just want to compute a function F on the two inputs. It's pretty easy without any constraints. All, All Alice has to do is send her private input X to the other party, Bob can compute f of x, y y and send it back to the send it back to Alice so they both have computed there, there are no constraints it's an easy problem let's say we want to do it securely so by security I mean that at the end of the protocol all they want to do is they want to infer the output and uh, they don't, uh, we should not be able to uh, we should not reveal any other information other than the function output itself so so let's just look at a very simple protocol. Alice has a bit, Bob has a bit. They want to compute XOR of their bits. The XOR is the function here. So, so what uh, the protocol I've defined here is that Alice sends the bit X0 to Bob. Bob computes X1, Xor, X2, X, X1, Xor, X sub, sub 0, and he sends it to Alice. Just have a question, is this, do you think, is this a secure protocol? Okay, I have a couple of people saying that it's not secure. Okay, it's actually secure. Um, So let me, uh, it's actually a secure protocol. Let's see why this is a secure protocol. So as I already said, let's compare this with the ideal world. An ideal world in which we have a trusted third party. It's an incorruptible third party. Alice and Bob have secure channels to the trusted third party. Alice sends her bit, Bob sends his bit. The third party computes the XR and sends it back. So, so Bob and Alice get the XR of the bits. But it is possible for Alice and Bob, given the output, it is possible for the, for the parties to compute the other party's output. That's the whole idea here. So let's just take an ideal world which doesn't exist, but just consider that this exists. But let's say if this exists, even in, even in an ideal world, it is possible for the other party to compute it. That is why the previous protocol was secure. So, given uh, the XOR of two bits and my own input, I can compute it. Compute the other party's input as well. So, so let's just see another protocol, an AND, and protocol. We are computing an AND of two bits. Is this secure? It's the same protocol. It's it's a very simple. It's very similar to the previous protocol except that we are doing an AND. Do you think that this is secure? Actually, this is no. This is not secure. Let's see, let's just compare with an ideal world. Let's just see a, a counterexample here. Let's say Bob's input is zero. Alice's Alice input could be anything. So at the, end of the, at the end of the protocol, at the end of the ideal world execution, Bob gets to see zero. At the end of the protocol, Bob cannot compute from, from the output and his own input. He cannot compute the input of the other party. That happened in XR. XR you can just compute given an output and, and his own input, his or her own input, we can compute it. But this doesn't happen here. So, so this protocol isn't secure because Bob always gets to see x, x naught, which is Alice's bit x0. But in an ideal execution, this is not possible. When Bob's input is 0, no matter what, so when Bob's input is 0, it's, there's no way Bob can identify if Alice's bit is 1 or 0. So that's the whole difference. So the security of a protocol is defined by comparing an uh, execution in the real world with, the, with an execution in the ideal world. So this is going to be done by building a simulator that would take the output of the function and the party's own input, and it will try to find. Uh, produce a view of the adversary. If the view of the adversary is same in the ideal world and the re- and the simulators output, then the protocol is intuitively secure. But we will not be looking into theory part. It's just an outline. I would advise you to, uh, if, if you are more interested, I, I would say uh, look into textbooks. Uh, uh, that would give a detailed notion of how protocols can be secured. So this is an intuitive uh, lecture I would say or this is more applied, I'm not going to go into uh, protocol proofs here. So, but intuitively it is done by comparing an execution in the real world and comparing an execution in the ideal world. So, one of the basic building blocks for uh, secure secure function evaluation is oblivious transfer. So, oblivious transfer, there are two parties again here, Alice and Bob. Alice has two messages, X0 and X1. Bob wants one of the messages, either x0 or x1. So he has a bit b, which, uh, and he wants xb. And at the end of the protocol, we want to send xb to Bob. And Alice, has, Alice should not have any information on what the bit b was. So she should not be able to find out what, in, what uh, output Bob got or which, bit, uh, which message Bob got. So it can be implemented with a random functionality. Let's say we have a random functionality. So what the random functionality does is Bob, Alice gets two random random texts, Z0, Z1. Bob gets one of the random messages and, and, the, and the corresponding bit, which message he got. So let's assume that Z0 and Z1 to be as like considered to be as random inputs or random messages. We will be using that for padding. That's the basic idea here. So, so let's just see the protocol here. Alice has x0, x1. Bob has bit b. What, what Bob senses, he, sorry, this has to be c. Uh, uh, there is a typo there. Sorry about that. It's c, and output is e. So basically what we do is Alice exhausts the two random messages, the messages she has got, with the random, uh, consider that to be as a one time pad or something, uh, something like that. Z0 is the key or one time key. Z0 is one time key and Z1 is another key. So she exhausts that with that. It it depends on what uh, what message uh, Bob got in the random functionality. So at the end of this protocol, Bob gets to see XB. He can exhaust ZC with YB and he can get, get one of the messages. But Alice does not have any way of finding out if Bob got x0, or x1. So this is the basic functionality. Let's assume that this is there. This can be extended for multiple messages as well. So let's say, let's say that Alice has more than two messages, and, and Bob wants to find out that it, there are protocols through which we can find out, through which Bob can get one of the messages, and Alice would still not be able to find out which message Bob got at the end of the protocol. So let's see uh, uh, how, how uh, so that is a building block. Let's just see how uh, AND gate can be implemented. Let's say the function is AND. So we have two input wires for this. Let's say we are, ha- we are considering a simple function here, which is AND of two bits. And let's say there are two. Uh, so any gate is going to have one or two inputs and have one output. So in this case, we are considering an AND gate. And there are two corresponding wires here, x and y. And what we are going to ha- do is, to create two keys for each input wire, and two keys for each output wire. Basically, what the keys denote is the keys could denote uh, keys are denoting uh, denoting zero or one. So we we denote k sub sub zero x to denote the in, uh, denote a zeroth input of wire x, and uh, k one x to denote uh, the bit one for the input wire x. And similarly, we do it for all the inputs and outputs. So let's say, so E is an encryption here, encryption. Let's say we have a semantically secure encryption scheme. Uh, the truth table is going to look like this. We are uh, going to have, uh, so we are going to, so when when any of the input bits are zero, we are going to have an output bit of zero. And similarly, when only when two input bits are one, we have an output of one. So that's why we are going to encrypt K0 sub-zero sub zero, uh, Z. That is going to be the output when any of the bits when any of the input bits correspond to zero so that is basically case 0y or k0x so let's say i have i have uh, let's say uh, i am the evaluator as uh, the circuit evaluator here and i know only two keys only one of the, uh, only two keys of the possible things so i know one key for x and one key for y i can decrypt exactly one row here there are four rows here i can exactly decrypt only one of them if I assume a semantically secure encryption scheme, so, so let's say I have uh, zero and 1, uh, 0 for X and zero for Y. Let's let's say that I have the keys for them. I can decrypt the first row here and obtain k zero, k sub zero z. So, so I have evaluated the grid. So let's say I'm the evaluator and I obtain this k zero z, k uh, uh, the key corresponding to the bit zero of uh, the uh, the output. I do not know what uh, what bit it is mapped to, so I'll have to send it to send that key to the corresponding uh, generator, the key or the circuit uh, generator, and obtain the the mapping of it. So let's just uh, so this is the basic idea for a single gate, but this can be implemented for any gate because the whole idea is the same. It's because we have an uh, we have a truth table for for a for a for a gate, and we be do, we will be encrypting the output keys uh, with all the combinations of uh, input keys basically. And since because I only have one combination of the input wires, I can obtain only one key corresponding to the output. So let's say there are multiple gates, it's pretty similar. So let's say this is the function here, it's it's an and of uh, there are uh, x, y, a, b as the input and there are uh, so at the end of the first execution, uh, I would get k for the, the output for the the output of the output key corresponding to the y z, and similarly, if I do it for the second AND gate, I would get the output for the wire C, which I can basically use it for computing the other gates. So it's basically a gate I do it one gate at a time, since because we have the output uh, since because we have the output keys for the previous levels. I can compute the output for the next level. So this is how it is going to happen. So let's let me just outline this uh, protocol. So how can I, how can two parties do it uh, securely? So um, so we can we can represent if there is an algorithm, we can represent that has a Boolean circuit. So Alice is without loss of generality, let's assume that uh, Alice is the secure generator. So what Alice is going to do is she's going to generate the. Truth tables for the for the circuit for the function. She, uh, she is going to send the garbled circuit to Bob. Bob, so there is one st- uh, Alice can construct the circuit because she can randomly pick keys for x, y, a, and b. Even though the input for uh, y could be Bob's, let's say that uh, the the input wire corresponds to Bob's input. She doesn't have to care about it. All she has to do is generate random keys and generate it but then let's uh, we are going to use bob as the circuit evaluator bob has to know the key corresponding to his input he cannot send his input bit to the, uh, alice and get back the keys because but then alice would know his input otherwise so we so that's why we introduced the oblivious transfer protocol previously so bob what what he would do is alice has two keys corresponding to the two bits bob has his input bob can pick his pick the keys corresponding to his input without revealing what his input is so at the end of oblivious transfer alice uh, bob has keys corresponding to alice and bob uh, alice can just send her uh, send the keys corresponding to her input because it's just it's going to be random keys so bob cannot find out anything about the mapping so so bob bob has the all the input keys he can he can go and evaluate the circuit at the end of the at the end of evaluate evaluation Bob gets a list of keys corresponding to the output wires. So Bob can basically uh, ask Alice what the mapping is. And at the, so at the end of the protocol, what we have is Bob and Alice gets to know the output bits. And uh, this is the whole idea of this. Okay. Let me give another protocol, GNW protocol, in which uh, similarly we are going to represent the function as a Boolean circuit. But in this case, we are going to represent Alice and Bob's input could be secret shared. So it's going to be additively secret shared. So let's say Bob's input is Alice input is A, Bob's input is B, it is going to be additively shared. That is, A is going to be split as A1 and A2, they are random bits and the, addition, the sum of them is going to produce the input A. And what, uh, what they're going to do is they're going to generate this secret shares and send it to the other party. So let's say we have a circuit. A1 and A2 corresponds to uh, the input A, and B1 and B2 corresponds to the input B. So they want to, uh, so let's say we have a circuit and we want to evaluate it. Uh, how can we do it? Uh, I'm going to give, uh, they want to, at the end of the protocol, they want to get secret shares of the output. Uh, in the previous case, we found out we were using keys. Uh, here we are going to have secret shares. So. So if A and B are the inputs, uh, it is going to be secret shared as A1 and B1, and A2, B2 respectively. And at the end of the o- uh, evaluation, you're going to get C1 and C2, which is going to be secret shared by Alice and Bob. So let's see how we can do it for XOR. We can just do XOR locally, there's, there's no need for communication. We can just uh, uh, XOR A and B, A- A1 and B1 are the local shares of Alice. And for Bob, it's going to be A2, B2. If they XOR it locally, the output is going to be a secret share of C1 and C2. But for AND gate, it's going to be a little more tricky. What we'll do is we'll use the oblivious transfer uh, subprotocol which we introduced previously. So let's see how we can compute the AND gate. So party 1, Alice has, has A1 and B1. Uh, sorry, there's another typo here. There's party 2 party 2 has uh, a2 and b2 that's bob here so they want to compute c which is basically additive shares of c1 and c2 alice gets c1 bob gets c2 they want to compute uh, such that c1 and the addition of c1 and c2 produces the and gate the and of the bits the and of uh, alice and bob's bits so let's just give a simple example for uh, uh, what happens if alice uh, if bob's input is 00, zero. So in this case, we want to uh, C1 and C2, C1 plus C2, equal to A1 plus 0 and B1 plus 0. So I'm just substituting Bob's bit here, so which is A2 and B2. And uh, so what party one or the Alice does is, she selects a random bit, which is C1. Let's assume that is a secret share for Alice at the end of the protocol. So and there are four possibilities here. So uh, Bob's bit could be 0 0 0, one one, zero or 1 1 and depending upon it, we can compute c2, and we can use the oblivious transfer protocol, which we discussed previously, to basically depending upon uh, Bob's input, he can uh, one of the four entries needs to be selected. Here it is one choose four, or, uh, or there's Bob has to get one of the inputs corresponding to what Alice says. So at the end of this protocol, at the end of oblivious transfer, Bob has his share c2 so we have basically secret shared c1 and c2 for and gate so xor and and or universal gates so if we have those things uh, we can compute we can build other gates and other functionalities so so this is so till now i've given um, how secure function evaluation can be done between two parties so so what it does is to summarize uh, the secure uh, two parties have input and they at the end of the protocol, they're going to obtain the output. Uh, and ho- we have, we have uh, the protocols that we saw will be, uh, we'll be able to use them to compute a function securely. Right? So, we are given a function as a circuit and we're going to evaluate the circuit. Let's, let's look at another, another notion of privacy, which is going to be differential privacy. So, till now what we have seen is we are given a function, we saw how to compute them securely we going to we going to see what comp- what functions can be computer securely because as i said previously if we are going to use xor of two bits the xor is going to reveal the uh, reveal the other party's input just by knowing the xor i can find out other parties uh, other parties input so a differential privacy talks about a different notion of privacy it says okay what functions can be uh, computer securely so We'll define the problem definition here. So, this. So the whole problem definition here is that there is a database that contains sensitive information, and we want to release statistics or statistical information about the dataset, or reveal the database in some anonymization form or some some privately uh, uh, some, some uh, privacy-preserving notion. So we want to release them such a way that uh, the people, the public, can gain useful can extract useful knowledge. And at the same time, it doesn't compromise the privacy of individuals whose information is contained in the database. So th- we have a uh, couple of weeks, couple of weeks back, we saw the syntactic approaches like k-anonymity, l-diversity, and other approaches. Uh, so basically, they guarantee they are clustering-based approaches in which they guarantee an individual or entity is indistinguishable from k other entities, k other entity, k minus one entities actually for k-anonymity. So uh, similarly, L diversity has its own uh, properties that it has diversity for the sensitive attribute. So, but we also saw that they don't really work well because uh, if uh, adversary has sufficient background information, it is possible for the adversary to break the synthetic approaches. Or in case where uh, where are there where there are multiple releases of the same database, uh, there is no guarantee that uh, it preserves the privacy. So there's no. Uh, so we'll we'll look at uh, so so. Syntactic approaches don't work, because we have uh, already seen, or um, there I, uh, these are few few uh, uh, privacy breaches that happened previously. Uh, uh, Massachusetts uh, Governor was identified uh, from an anonymous medical database. And there was also a uh, rec- uh, query released in which they were able to identify uh, Ms. Arnold's uh, search history. And, and that is pretty sensitive information. Mm-hmm. And there was also a Netflix data, and it was able, we were, they were able to, uh, Netflix uh, published its data set for research purposes, uh, for building a recommendation system. And, uh, and researchers were able to break or link the uh, the, recommenda- uh, the ratings to corresponding users. They used uh, data sets, p- publicly available data sets like IMDB data sets and how they rated it. And uh, they used other publicly available information to link uh, link the c- uh, ratings to corresponding users so these are the some of the approaches and which didn't really work. the anonymization approach didn't work so let's just let's so let's let's go for uh, differential privacy so a s- couple of slides are taken from christine Tass' uh, talk It's a very good tutorial on differential privacy it's still available on series so i would recommend anyone who wants to know more about differential privacy to go and look at that uh, video tutorial i think it's pretty good uh, so so let's see the problem definition here so th- there is a data set and there are mul- so the data set contains multiple instances or, or information corresponding to multiple entities and we want to issue uh, we want to p- uh, publish some information which is given by a query so the query is applied to the database and we have a result that is given to the public for 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 research purposes or for building useful systems so the question is this is the whole idea there is a sensitive data set and the result that is going to be published for everyone so the obvious question to ask is is perfect privacy possible so when 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 i would say that uh, intuitively i would say that let's say uh, there are two databases one with with uh, with, uh, with a record containing my 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 record and another uh, another database that does not contain my entity. If the results, the query results to both the databases were the same, intuitively I'm, I'm, I'm secure because the database, both the databases contain uh, produce the same results. So anyone seeing the result should not be able to find out if I'm in the database or not. So intuitively this is secure, but it's not possible because if you you can inductively show that it's it's, the utility is basically there is no utility in that uh, if you can guarantee that. So. Perfect privacy is possible, but we can't guarantee any utility. There is zero utility or or almost no utility. So another way to say is that, another way of saying is that what is the if if let's say the adversary or someone who is seeing the result can gain more information about me. If an adversary seeing the result cannot gain any more information than what he already knows about me, then then also it is also intuitively secure because on seeing so the probability of the of some prior probability about me from an adversary is the same even after seeing the result so but it's, it's it's again not again not possible because a secret about a population or we have we know we are learning something about the population that could in turn reveal something about me if the adversary knows some function about me or some background information about me so it's very much possible which very much likely we cannot guarantee that the uh, releasing the statistics about the population will not reveal more information about me. So let's say there is an adversary and he wants to predict entities, uh, some entities uh, probability of getting uh, disease cancer. So let's say that uh, from, a, from a publicly available data set, he can always find the correlation or causality that smoking causes cancer. So <coughs> if the adversary has some background information about me, that i smoke or so, uh, another entity that that smokes his probability basically increases so it's basically impossible to protect <coughs> even even though i'm not in the database the adversary is still learning some information so it doesn't matter if i'm in the database or not just the result itself is leaking more information or increasing the probability of me having something or uh, learning something about me by the adversary so so this is basically an impossibility sir that is uh, as that has been shown. So let's look at uh, what we can protect. So let's say that there are two datasets, D one and D two, and D one and D two differ in one element. And we call a mechanism a differentially private mechanism if, for all datasets D one and D two, that are uh, that are that are neighboring databases, neighboring databases, which means that they differ in at uh, at most one one entity or one record. The probability of getting any output, for all outputs, the probability of them getting from the database 1 or database 2 is almost in, is, is, is very close, or I would say that it's nearly indistinguishable. So what this essentially says is that, let's say I'm, given, I'm giving an output S, or some function output, on seeing the output, the adversary cannot find out, or adversary cannot say with probability 1, which database the result came from. Since, because we are considering neighboring databases, the adversary cannot say that the entity which he wants to find information about is actually present in the database from which it was queried or not. So, basically, it is indistinguishable or cannot infer which database it came from. So, so epsilon is a privacy parameter here. Uh, we can consider that to be something like less than one. Do not consider it to be a negligible function. It's some some number, some constant between. Uh, Zero and one. So when we consider epsilon as zero, we are guaranteeing perfect privacy, basically, because the probability of them getting from two different databases is the same. But as we said, its utility is going to be pretty bad. So let's see a common mechanism by which we have differential privacy. So there is a numerical query which we want to uh, compute. We how to do it is by Computing the true output, we take uh, we take the function, apply that to the true database, and compute Laplace of. Uh, we randomly sample uh, 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 an element from the corresponding distribution. In in this case, it is Laplace, and delta f is basically the sensitivity. It it find it corresponds to the sensitivity of the function, which basically means is that what is the largest contribution any individual can make it can 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 contribute to this, to this function. So it captures the worst possible case here. So it is, so I have to reiterate here and say that the sensitivity does not depend on the database. It is It is over all possible d and d prime over the universe. So and epsilon is the uh, privacy parameter as we already said. So if you can use it for numerical queries, then we obtain, uh, then R is basically a differentially private function. So. Uh, uh, the, the proof is again uh, available on on the, on the on the video that i suggested so so i would say if you want to know more about uh, differential privacy i would recommend you to look at uh, christine's talk mm-hmm. so okay so so this is so in this case we are considering um, a server client so a server maintains a database and the client is or is trying to query the database so that's the whole uh, definition we are considering here so this can be extended even to two parties. So two two parties here. Two, the, let's consider two parties who both contain uh, two uh, two private inputs. They want to compute a function. Uh, we can we can we can similarly uh, compute uh, uh, differentially private functions for both the parties and guarantee differential privacy for both the parties. Basically, so we will we'll see that how 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 we do how 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 it can be done. So so all i want to say is that this definition of uh, the definition which which uh, which i gave here is for client server which can be which has been uh, uh, extended to multi parties as well so that's the whole idea I want, to, I want to tell. so but we'll be seeing how to develop uh two party differentially private computation so so to to give a brief summary again we saw how to compute a function securely and we saw what how what compu- what functions can be secu- uh Computer secured uh, p- privately. So we are going to c- we are going to see how we can combine both these concepts to develop a differentially private computation. So I'm going to introduce some notations here uh, because I'll be using uh, ad- additively homomorphic encryption. The next slide. So, uh, so we're going to use a public key and a secret key. The public key uh, is we're going to use an uh, asymmetric encryption scheme and uh, and an additively homomorphic uh, encryption schemes there are a few uh, uh, so so s- we want to so pk is the public key sk is the secret key corresponding to it and we will be using um, what additive homomorphic encryption is that we are given two encryptions of two messages and we will be able to compute or take these two ciphertexts and and do some manipulation over the ciphertext such that we can get an encryption of another ciphertext which is basically the summation of the uh, play, the messages that was encrypted by the two messages basically. So here we are having uh, M1 and M2, uh, which basically takes, we are applying the dot operator, here, which, which could be some operation on ciphertext. So let's consider a multiplication operation, operation here, but that could differ based upon the encryption scheme which we use. So we are taking two encryptions of two messages, M1 and M2, we apply some operator on it, dot here, and we obtain an encryption of M1 plus M2. So when we decrypt that ciphertext which is obtained, we get m1 and m2 basically. So that's the whole idea. And it is also possible to, uh, given an encryption encryption of a message m1, it is possible to raise it over, uh, uh, raise it over m2, or in the sense that we can, if if I know a constant, I can raise the ciphertext over m1, uh, a different message m2, let's say here, which obtains m1 and m2. So it is basically taking a uh, encryption, uh, taking a ciphertext and then. Uh, multiplying that by a constant. So basically, we are we will be getting uh, a constant times the encrypted message. So let's just, so with this notation, let's just uh, see a simple protocol uh, for Hamming distance. Two parties, Alice and Bob again, have a vector. And they want to compute the Hamming distance between their vectors. Alice creates a public key and secret key. And Alice, what she does is she sends the public key and her corresponding encrypted vector, which is denoted by x tilde. Tilde denotes an encrypted vector, not in. so anything that that has a tilde, uh, it is basically encrypted. So uh, Bob takes the encrypted vector x x tilde and uh, he basically computes the XOR of the bits. So if uh, so, it's it's he, he just computes the XOR of the bits and. And since because we are using an additive homomorphic uh, encryption scheme, uh, he can sum, sum the encrypted text, which is basically TI. TI is basically the XOR of, of the elements, individual elements in the vector. So when I when I sum the XOR vector, I basically get the Hamming distance. So I can send the encrypted um, Hamming distance to Alice. Uh, Alice can decrypt it and send. So basically, at the end of the protocol, both parties get the hamming distance between the two vectors again as we as we saw the output could leak information if bob let's say has uh, has knowledge about has background information about alice's elements of the vector let's assume that bob's bob knows everything except for p the element p so bob can just set 0 or 1 and at the end of the protocol uh, alice can uh, bob can basically get uh, can predict what the what the element was, if it was set or not. So that's the example. So here we are assuming background information. So, so Bob has some background information about Alice. So let's take another example in which we don't need background information. Let's consider dot product. So again, uh, Alice has uh, a vector and Bob has a vector. And Bob wants to probe for, he, can, he wants to find out if, let's consider this to be as a document or and corresponding element says that if the word is present in the document or not so bob wants to find out if a corresponding word is present in the other party's alices document so what he does is he sets he he is going to probe it by setting one to the corresponding element here he wants to find out the element corresponding to p. so he sets start to be one and everything initializes everything to be zero it proceeds similarly similar to the previous protocol and at the end of the protocol Alice and Bob can find out the dot, pro- the, the, the dot product of the two vectors. But Bob, since because he's malicious, he can probe the individual elements and f- can find out if the element p or in the, in the example that I gave, like in, if the word is present in Alice's document or not. So this, is, this doesn't require any background information. The whole idea is let's combine differential privacy and SMC now. Secure function evaluation. So, so let's see how we can combine them now. So Alice, we are just considering the Hamming distance problem here. It, it just uh, It's the same protocol, except that Bob is going to generate a random sample. Uh, R1, he's going to sample it from uh, mean uh, Laplace distribution with mean of zero and a scale parameter of one by epsilon. So one is basically the sensitivity. So for any change for, uh, for for the uh, if we c- the sensitivity is not uh, it's it's basically pretty easy to compute because uh, the values can be one or zero so if we remove any entity from or any element from the vector uh, it's not going to contribute more than one so the maximum value that uh, an entity can contribute here is one so that's why the sensitivity is one and we are going to use epsilon as the uh, sens- uh, uh, privacy parameter so it proceeds similar to what we did except that R is also going to be added. So the final, final uh, result is going to be the Hamming distance plus some error, which is which is randomly selected by Bob. Alice gets the result. Alice can decrypt it, uh, decrypt S prime which is basically uh, S tilde and which is going to be R, uh, the actual Hamming distance plus some random noise. And she is going to sample another uh, Random uh, a random sample from Laplace distribution, which is going to be noted by R naught, and uh, she is going to add that and uh, send it to Bob. This is done because Bob knows what R one he selected. Basically, he can sub- subtract it from the result. So, both Alice and Bob get two uh, get differentially private outputs. And in this case, since because we already saw that differential privacy is going to protect is is going to protect the individual elements in the uh, vector. Bob will not be, or Bob or Alice uh, will not be able to interpre- uh, infer what the corresponding element uh, co- corresponding element of uh, uh, the, 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 the other party's input. So, but there's a main problem here because if let's say one party is malicious. Let's say Bob without loss of generality, he is going to sample a predetermined noise. He's not going to follow the protocol. This works fine in the semi-honest setting that is by semi-honest adversaries I mean adversaries or uh, the parties follow the protocol uh, perfectly. They they don't deviate from the protocol. So this works fine with semi-honest adversaries. But for malicious cases, this does not work because Bob can basically sample a predetermined noise that is a high, high noise and he can basically get exclusive access to the output. So instead of sampling from the correct distribution, uh, he can basically sample a predetermined noise and Send that has the output and basically say this was what was sam- this was what I sampled. Alice has no way of finding out because this is a random sample. So the solution to that is we have to generate a, a distributed noise generation. So what we have to make sure is that no party has can gain exclusive access to the output. By that I mean that the noise contributed to the final output cannot be controlled by any parties. So we'll be representing uh, reals. Uh, as fixed points, that is basically we are going to truncate reals, we're not going to use infinite precision. We're going to multiply that by a f- fixed uh, public constant and truncate the value and make it as an int- uh, as, a, as a element in the field. So we are going to represent uh, positive numbers between the range, one and, and and by two. And negative numbers is represented by additive inverses. So. It is. We already saw that it is. If we can, if Alice's input is A and Bob's input is B, if we XOR it, it is. If let's say that uh, we want to generate, let's say, let's consider how a sample is generated from a distribution. So, so we can generate a uniformly random sample from uh, standard uniform distribution and apply a transformation on it, and uh, depending upon the distribu- desired distribution, we can apply the transformation and uh, obtain the final result. So. It is easy to find. It is easy to generate a uniformly random noise. So, the protocol is basically simple. Alice has a random input. Bob has a random input. If they can uh, ex- uh, xor their inputs, the output is. It's basically a coin tossing protocol in which, at the end of the protocol, nobody can co- can basically uh, control the uh, mm-hmm. random noise that was generated. So, here we are generating a random random uh, value between uh, specific interval. So. so let's let's just see the protocol so it's uh, so alice has a bit xa bob has a bit xb and alice has another uh, y has an integer uh, uh, and uh, bob has yb so we we have to we use the composition method here so uh, we can uh, we can compute the xor of xa and xb so as long as one of the parties honest we can obtain a uniformly random bit and y uh, and another uh, we can use either XOR or modulus uh, uh, some uh, uh, addition modulo n uh, to generate a uniformly random sample. So the first step, we are using uh, XOR to get a uniformly random bit. And we are going to generate a number, uh, y, uh, between 0 and 10 to the power p. Um, that is done by modulo here. So y a and y b are again two random values between 0 and to 10 to the power p. p is the precision here. So uh, then uh, uh, the third step we compute logarithm so uh, to generate a La- uh, laplace sample all we have to compute is log of u and with pro- if we can pick with probability half log of u it is a random sample it is a standard laplace sample which has a mean 0 and uh, 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 it's a standard laplace sample basically and with probability uh, another half we sample we we have to sample it from minus log of u so the basically the bit x is used for uh, the probability. And y is basically used as a random standard uniform sample. So we compute logarithm. Logarithm we have used an already existing protocol to compute log. So what we do is we basically compute uh, log of y. So by pi, I mean it's a protocol. We use the secured log protocol to compute log of y. And then uh, I'm subtracting out the the publicly known, publicly known constant. So basically, what it what it does is it computes the logarithm of a uniform, of a standard uniform sample, and multiplies that by a constant. So uh, next, we use this uh, the value of x. Uh, it it is with probability half, it it is zero, and with probability other half, it is going to be one. So with with with, with what depending upon the value of x, we make it either log of u or log of minus log of u. So at the end of the at the end of this, uh, what we basically have computed is log log of u with probability uh, one half and minus log of u with another prob- uh, with the probability of half. We can uh, so with this uh, with this uh, sample we can uh, scale it by a uh, whatever scale scale factor we have we can multiply that um, and obtain obtain the corresponding Laplace sample so that's the whole so this protocol is going to generate a standard laplace sample and it's it's going to be very expensive in the malicious setting so let's see another uh, intuitive example or let's say another uh, th- because there exists because we have s- we have said that uh, so as i said it's it works in the honest but curious uh, or the sen- in the in the sense that all the uh, the adversary or the parties are semi-honest; that is, they follow the protocol. But this, uh, but this can be uh, considered this device as a garbled circuit, and there exist generic techniques that can be applied to make, the, make this secure in a malicious model. So we use cut and choose. There are techniques like cut and choose in which multiple circuits are generated and uh, and uh, and made sure that uh, it is uh, and we can make sure that it is secure in the malicious malicious model. So this is, uh, this is basically can be made secure in the event of the malicious model. So let's just consider another intuitive idea. Let's say that it is because uh, in the, p- the first protocol that I mentioned, uh, each party contributes a noise to the other party. And we, will not be a- we are not able to find out if the, p- if the sample was generated from the corresponding distribution because it was just a single sample. So the intuitive idea is that rather than generating a single sample, let's generate multiple samples. So, so each party instead of generating a single sample, it's going to generate multiple samples, and going to, it's going to encrypt them and send it to the other party. And similarly, other party also generates uh, m samples instead of one sample. And we can choose one of the samples. So Alice and Bob, they're going to choose one of the samples and ask the other samples to be decrypted, so because we are having m, m. We are assuming that each party uh, samples m samples now. So we are going to use the left-out sample has the value for. Uh, the final output. So and then we we decrypt the rest of the samples, the m-1 samples, we can use a goodness of fit test, any goodness of fit test to test if those samples are coming, actually from the corresponding distribution or not. So we are basically checking are the rest of the samples appear to come from the corresponding distribution. So we have a goodness of fit test, we use a goodness of fit test to find out If the rest of the samples come from, corrisp- from the actual distribution or not, so then hy- the null hypothesis assumes that the, uh, it is generated from the corresponding mean and scale parameter uh, lambda, and uh, the null hypothesis the opposite. The, the alternate hypothesis is that it, it doesn't come from the corresponding distribution. So we can use any test, goodness of fit test, to find out, but there is still some probability with which an adversary can cheat. He can basically pick predetermined noise. Uh, and hoping that this would be this would not be asked for decryption so there is still uh, there is a, there is some error this is, is an error of 1 over m uh, by which the adversary is slipping in a predetermined noise and hoping that uh, the other party doesn't ask it, i mean doesn't choose it for decryption so this this does not this this gives non negligible error basically because with non negligible error an adversary, a malicious party, can basically uh, control the other party's output. So this is an intuitive idea, and uh, but but then the problem is that in an ideal model, the trusted third party is going to always choose uh, choose f- uh, choose a sample from the corresponding distribution. So let's assume an ideal world, which I mentioned previously. So in this case, we are computing a differentially private output. So Alice has an input, Bob has an input, and we have a trusted third party. Both the parties send their private inputs to the trusted third party. The trusted third party computes the function and samples an uniformly random noise based upon the distribution, uh, probably Laplace here, or with with a, with a mean of zero and whatever function we are trying to compute here. Uh, uh, the sensitivity uh, and use that as the sensitivity, and and it's going to be since because we are assuming that the trusted third party is incorruptible, it's going to sample from a from the correct distribution it is going to sample it always from the correct distribution so we're going to it's it's pretty easy to see that the previous protocol does not work because we are allowing a cheating probability of 1 over m at least with 1 over m it's possible that with 1 over m one of the parties is going to cheat or it's possible for a malicious adversary to cheat but in a, uh, but in an ideal world this cannot happen so for an ideal model this this uh, ideal world this cannot happen so we basically need a, a different proof technique in which we should allow the ideal model to fail with, fail with some certain probability, and and so uh, and and we'll have to allow the, allow the uh, one of the parties in the ideal model to basically send a corrupted message to the trusted third party, and depending upon it, we'll have to allow the trusted third party to cheat. So it's so it's so uh, the the main reason to have this kind of protocol is to basically uh, have come up with a more efficient protocol, but at the same time allowing, <coughs> uh, allowing uh, uh, one party to cheat with a very small probability. And it is, uh, we have to say that the probability of cheating is pretty small, but that it's still possible. So, in order to, yeah. f- in order to prove this, in order to, because as I already said, an execution in ideal model has to be compared with an execution in the real world. We'll have to basically relax the ideal world and say that there is some probability with which it could fail world or the Russia third party could basically send a wrong or or uh, some um, less itli- uh, an output to the harness party with less utility so I'm not going to go into the details of the proof but this is basically an intuitive idea uh, on coming up with an on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a, an efficient protocol with um, with, with some uh, uh, with, with a small probability of an error so so to conclude, uh, so we just saw two take two different notions of privacy, and uh, and we we, we uh, that uh, secu- basically secure function evaluation and differential privacy, and we saw how we can develop protocols by combining them in a malicious model. Uh, so thanks for listening, Um you have any questions, I can I can answer it. So. Uh, so, do anyone does anyone have any questions that I can answer, or I'm available over email. So, just send an email. I can, I can. Yeah. Thank you.